Welcome to the Von Nelson Podcast. With me today is CIO and CEO, Chris Wallace. Welcome, Chris. Thanks, Dan. So, Chris, we, we've really picked up the frequency of our podcast over the last uh, week and a half or so here. And, you know, I, I think it, you know, part of that is due to, to what we're seeing with the market, right? And, and just in the last couple of trading days, we've seen volatility jump from the mid-30s up north of 50. Uh, credit market issues are, are beginning to flare up. Uh, we're seeing potential funding stresses emerge. And, you know, we're, we're seeing some some particular sectors really hit hard. Um, and, and one I can just point to right away is, is energy. And we saw the breakdown of, of OPEC Plus over the weekend. Uh, would, you, would you mind us, you know, weighing in on your thoughts on, uh, on what, we see, sure. what we're seeing there? Yeah. Um, and certainly, you know, being in Houston, it's awfully close to home. So we'll get a, a front row seat to the carnage that, that'll be in front of us. Uh, I, you know, I think the most important thing that came out of the weekend, and it clearly there's some strategical uh, elements to it and geopolitical elements to it, uh, but it's a real regime change. Uh, we, we already knew that we were in the part of the commodity cycle and specifically the oil cycle where you balance supply and demand by cutting supply, and that's an inherently less bullish and can, as we saw over the weekend, become quite bearish set up for the price of the commodity, where you're in more of a secular bull move is when you're balancing supply and demand by price increasing, killing demand, but in the environment we've been in really since uh, 2011, if not earlier, it's been an environment where we've had to cut supply to balance demand and boost prices. And what we saw over the weekend was just that. We saw uh, not only the OPEC cartel, but uh, OPEC plus Russia start to fall apart Clearly, uh, you know, there's probably some agendas in there that are beyond just hurting U.S. shale. But more importantly, it's not just the shale producers and, you know, the fact that there's going to be bankruptcies there. Energy is such a small weighting of the S&P 500. It's almost irrelevant. What is important is there is a lot of debt within both the high yield sector and the investment, lower end of the investment grade sector that could be impacted by this. More importantly, our banks have exposure to these producers. And as we've talked about previously, the issues the market's facing right now are liquidity issues. And this is another very large liquidity issue. Again, you're going to start to see energy companies drawing down on those lines of credit at the banks. That's going to force the banks to cut back CNI lending elsewhere. It also means we're going to move into a legitimate credit cycle where these banks are going to start recognizing real losses. And because of changes in accounting laws or regulations a few years ago, we really haven't accrued for as much of the losses as we're probably going to see because we're going to have some add-on effects to this. Um, you know, you're not going to sell as many F-150s in West Texas and Oklahoma and elsewhere. People are going to be tightening their belts. And parts of the country that have been growth drivers aren't going to be growth drivers for a while. So um, you, you mentioned, uh, you know, we've gotten to this, this stage of the cycle here where we've been, you know, balancing supply and demand by, by cutting supply. And, you know, one thing that comes to mind is, as, we, as we look through the weekends at behavior of, of OPEC plus Russia um, is, is – what Russia and the Saudis have done, and specifically, um, do you think sure. they're targeting U.S. shale producers? I, I, yeah, they're clearly, whether it's both of them or one of them, look, this is a coordinated act. Uh, you know, Russia doesn't make decisions such as this on their own. There had to be some back-channel communications. Uh, you could just look at the way the market was trading on Friday. 
with a dramatic decline, not only in oil going into the weekend, but a dramatic decline in sovereign yields as well. People knew this was a, this was a, a, a hit job that was out there. Um, Russia would love to see the U.S. credit markets on their back. There's no telling what quid pro quo is being set up for rejoining OPEC. Um, it could be backing off the Nordstrom II pipeline in Europe. It could be a whole host of things that they would want in return. But this was very much a coordinated attack. The U.S. is in a tough spot. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. The U.S. government is really struggling to finance its deficits, uh, where the economy, while it was reasonably healthy, it was you know not at a point to where a, a shock such as this wouldn't tip us into recession. And I suspect, you know, the, the impact of the coronavirus is just another reason that taking an action such as this can really inflict maximum damage right now. Now's a good time to kind of pull this lever if you want to put the U.S. on its back foot. Right. And, and you know, you say the U.S. is in a tough spot. And, and as we looked at the last you know, week and a half now, um, it is in a tough spot, right? We've seen a really, really sharp decline uh, across all U.S. markets. Uh, we have seen credit issues arise. You know, and for some folks starting to hear, you know, this is reminiscent of 2008. And, you know, for, uh, for someone who was, was managing assets back through 2008, are, are you identifying any similarities or any, any differences yeah. that you'd, you'd like to highlight? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's some really key similarities um, and, and the differences. The similarities are the problems are the same. Um, you know, it's wholesale funding issues. It's interbank lending. It's over-levered balance sheets with the idea that they were never going to have to pay the debt down. It's relying on share buybacks for earnings growth instead of investment. Um, and there's real funding pressures. Don't I won't mix words here. I mean, the issues I'm looking at right now in credit markets and lack of liquidity are very similar, if not identical, to what we saw in 07 and 08. So we're having significant funding issues. There are interbank stresses as far as lending goes. If there's not a rapid expansion of liquidity in some form or fashion, we're going to continue to see this liquidity recession play out and a repricing of risk assets. That said, it's also very different. The difference is this. Market participants are fully aware of risk that could exist within the plumbing and the liquidity backdrop for wholesale funding. It's been discussed. It's been written about. So in that sense, I'm not going to say it's discounted, but we're not getting the shock and awe. Nobody is surprised by this. The other difference is the Fed is keenly aware. Look, they showed up late to the rate cut party this week. They just went to where the market was. But they are keenly aware that liquidity is the key in all of this. And liquidity buys time, if nothing else. It's not going to heal the problem, but it, it, it'll buy time. So in that sense, I think everybody's coming and looking at very significant issues in the credit markets and gross distortions in valuations across asset classes, but at least both sides being regulators in the form of the Fed, uh, people with fiscal responsibility in the form of the Treasury and Congress, and capital market participants are all looking at the situation and understanding what it is. They all have their own set of objectives and their own lens as to what they believe a solution is, but we're not 
trying to wrap our arms around what may or may not be the issue. So in that sense, it's very different. In 08, nobody had any idea what was going on, um, and they were very late to the game to look for any solutions, and that was a liquidity event in the private sector. This is a liquidity event in the private sector, but the Fed's balance sheet is already geared up, and it's, I think it's a question of when, not if, uh, it's expanded at a very rapid rate. Okay, so, so thinking about this maybe, though, um, you know, minus a rapid expansion of liquidity, or, or maybe even if it does occur, you know, where else do you anticipate credit issues popping up? Yeah, we're, well, you know, first and foremost, uh, just what we're seeing right now in Europe, when you take a country the size of Italy and the importance of Italy, not just in the European economy, but in the global economy, and it's quarantined, at a time when their banks are already in a tough spot, you're going to start to see credit issues popping up uh, in Europe again, and those banks are not healthy. Um, and, you know, that's going to start to p spill over. People are going to think twice about counterparty risk. So you're going to continue to see those stresses. You know, there was an announcement today that Italy is, is proposing to suspend debt payments. If you're already dealing with a liquidity issue and all of a sudden you tell customers, don't, don't worry about making a mortgage payment, a credit card payment, an auto payment, um, well, you're going to exacerbate those credit issues, uh, or pardon me, those liquidity issues. And same with a lot of these solutions. You know, we're starting to see uh, rumblings out of Washington that, hey, you know, we're going to use fiscal stimulus. Well, that means the TGA the Treasury General account needs to be replenished, and they're going to go issue a lot of treasuries. What does that do? Drains liquidity. We have a fundamental liquidity issue, and a combination of the stresses that already existed in credit markets with the uncertainty around the coronavirus and its impact on economic activity, you're going to see risk appetites continue to withdraw. And, and do you think that, you know, demographics are playing a role in this as well, right? I mean, we're, we're seeing, um, you know, yeah. particularly uh, Ground Zero in Italy, right? It's a, it's a very much aged population in yeah. surrounding areas. Um, how, where do, you, do you think that, that the magnifies the, the issue? It, it can. Uh, you know, it's very easy to kind of overwhelm the infrastructure of the healthcare system. And when you have an aged population, that's going to exacerbate it. Uh, you know, we, we got to take time and see what the real data is. But if you just look at the numbers raw out of Italy to date, it would say, you know, there's a 6% mortality rate. Now, is that a function of so many underreported cases? Probably. Uh, does it also reflect a more aged population potentially? Absolutely. Um, but yeah, I, you know, the impact of this virus is going to have a lot to do with demographics and geography and a combination of the two. Right. So you mentioned before, you know, you're, you that the Fed is, is keenly, keenly aware of the liquidity required. Um, what policy choices does the Fed have left, and you know, really, what's what is their role now in the in the current environment? Yeah, you know, I, I the Fed can't solve the underlying problem. So you know, we've already seen Ro Rosengren this week talk about buying equities. Great. You know, okay, so they're a willing buyer when there's needed sellers. That's not a, a solution to the underlying problem. It's just a way to smooth out the process of, of arriving at price discovery. So I really think the Fed is going to find their role in all of this is provide the liquidity that's going to allow the market 
to, dis, to, to fulfill its price discovery. Now, if we do it slowly across sectors over time, that's not that bad of an environment. If it's more of a jump condition or we see a freezing up, then you know liquidity really doesn't come into play. But I really think the, the role of the Fed in, in this cycle is really just going to be be the backstop, let the markets get to the correct pricing. You know, we've got news out today that we're going to bail out the U.S. shale players. We're going to have a stimulus. We're going to have payroll tax cuts. I really think the gig is up. I mean, when you look at capital markets, nobody's going to go out and build a, a business strategy or an investment thesis on the fact that we're going to get bailed out. Um, the point is the bailouts haven't worked. The monetization hasn't worked. So I think we're going to get to underlying real prices and where things need to be. Uh, it just depends on whether that's going to be sharp and short or we're going to draw it out over a longer period of time. And the Fed's toolkit is well known. I mean, we can talk about buying equities, but you know, my understanding is they'd have to go in and, and reopen the Reserve Act and make chan changes in order to do that directly. And that's a whole different set of political issues that come out of that. I would expect the next move is a, a opening of the discount window at a, at a discount to kind of its penalty rate, a broader acceptance of, of different features of collateral. And that will, again, just give everybody that temporary liquidity they need to operate day to day as they unwind and slowly reprice. And if, if we go down that path, is that a, um, a not that bad scenario where the Fed's providing a backstop and we, we slowly work through this? Or is this a, you know, we'll, we'll take a, a sharp, you know, further sharp decline and then reset ourselves quickly? Um, I, again, I think if we really want to get to what underlying intrinsic value is for a lot of risk assets, it's going to be materially lower. Uh, there's just no way around it. Um, and so, I, you know, whether, it, again, it's a short decline, it, it just depends how orderly the unwinding is. I mean, just the sell-offs we're seeing in the leveraged loan market this week is indicative of real problems. Uh, you know, unfortunately, you know, like what we've seen with global trade, where each country is kind of trying to protect its own, uh, and whether it's erect tariffs or provide subsidies, I suspect we're going to start to see the same thing on the liquidity front. So are Japanese regional banks going to continue to buy U.S. leveraged loans? I don't know. Probably not. So maybe that, you know, tens of billions of liquidity that's been coming over doesn't anymore. Well, who's going to fill that hole? Um, well, nobody. Nobody's going to step up in the and it, right now, when, when we, we're seeing the, the credit stresses, we are at a point when you really can't have any real confidence in what the economic outlook is going to be over the next few months. You know, Chris, one, one thing that really stands out is, is the trading pattern or the return pattern of, of the market over the last couple of weeks here, right? I mean, we've seen, um, you know, really sharp decline uh, day after day after day after day, and then we'll see a big pop, right? And then that cycle's repeated again, and it's repeated for the second time we're recording this here on Tuesday, uh, Tuesday, Tuesday the 10th, we had another big update after responding to Monday's, um, you know, Monday a top 20 percentage down day in the market of all time. So, you know, is, is, this, a, is this something that you're, you're seeing any type of pattern in? Is there, is there any type of guidepost that you would look at this and say, hey, well, you know, maybe we are getting close to, to, to the bottom here. Is there anything that stands out for you that said, you know, this, this very irregular uh, trading pattern that we're identifying now um, is telling me anything? Yeah, uh, and the short answer, 
No, it's not indicative of a bottom. It's very indicative of what I'd call a bear market and a bear market rally, which is you can get to some extreme conditions. And when you do, you've kind of exhausted those sellers and those that are short in the market go to cover and it kind of draws in. And then you have these trapped longs and those trapped longs start to exit and they become kind of the overhead supply for the market. Um, so I don't think it's indicative at all of a bottoming process. What I would tell you is when you look at the percentage change on the daily basis, it's very consistent with the VIX levels. So you, we may all feel great that you know the S&P was up 5% today, and it may very well be up again tomorrow, but that gives me no indication that we've really flushed out the weaker hands. This is very typical of a correction. And even as bad as kind of Monday's stock market was, the equity side of the market has been trading much healthier than what I would call the high yield or uh, more stress credit side of the market. So until we see a very material improvement in credit, I wouldn't look at the equity as a guidepost. The credit markets have been leading the equity markets uh, for the last several years and will continue to do so. And what little bounce we got in the treasury curve was nothing to be impressed by today, especially when you look at like today's three-year uh, treasury auction. It had the worst bid to cover that we've seen since 08. So we've got real liquidity issues out there. So I certainly wouldn't, wouldn't take any solace in a bounce in the equity markets. Well, Chris, this has been terrific as always, and, and we very much appreciate you having in here. And you know, certainly as as these uh, these market and and the universe around us continues to be uh, more and more volatile, we'll bring you back in here and we'll, we'll you share bet. your thoughts. And we're looking forward to it next yeah, time. You bet, Thanks. Dan. Anytime. The views, information, and or opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Von Nelson and its employees. Von Nelson does not verify and assumes no responsibility for the accuracy of any of the information contained in the podcast. The primary purpose of the information, opinions, and thoughts presented in this podcast is to educate and inform. This podcast, or any podcast in the series, does not constitute professional investment advice or services and any reliance on the information provided is done at your own risk. Past performance is not an indication of future performance. By accessing this podcast, you acknowledge that the entire contents of this podcast are the property of Von Nelson and, or used by Von Nelson with permission and are protected under U.S. copyright and trademark laws.